Mysteries. No aspect of ancient religions has evoked greater interest and a greater range of interests than that of mystery cults. Scholars have repeatedly combed textual and archaeological evidence in attempts to uncover their secrets. What was done? By whom? To whom? And a variety of people from outside of academia have invoked and adapted the cults for their own uses. Mozart's magic flute, which draws on 18th century Masonic perceptions of the mystery cult of Isis, is a well-known example. Today, neo-pagan religious groups worship the gods of mystery cults in what they believe is the way that ancient initiates did. In the latter part of this essay, we may gain some insights as to why mystery cults are of perennial interest. But I will begin with a summary of what scholars think we can say with certainty about the most prominent cults. In the short run, this means emphasizing Greece and Rome, the homes of mystery cults in the strictest sense of the term. This eventually leads us, however, into other cultures of the ancient Mediterranean, first through a contextualization of the Greek and Roman mystery cults within a range of religious phenomena with which they share salient characteristics, notably a promise of personal transformation and a demand for secrecy and then through examining how later religious and philosophical systems, including Christianity, adapted the word mystery. Any model of mystery cults will be imperfect, both because there were variations among individual cults in antiquity, and because there remain disagreements of definition among scholars but we must start from at least a provisional model, and so before discussing the cults themselves, I first list five criteria that many cults shared. Mystery cults demanded secrecy. Initiates were forbidden to divulge what they had experienced. Mystery comes from Greek, Mayan, to close. Mystery cults promised to improve initiates' situations in the present life and or after death. Initiates garnered these advantages by establishing a special relationship with divinities during initiation. Mystery cults were optional supplements to civic religion rather than competing alternatives. This is why they, we call them cults rather than religions. Myths were associated with the cults, which narrated tales of the cults' divinities. Space allows detailed discussion of only two cults here. Four others are sketched more briefly, and there were other lesser mysteries in antiquity as well the Eleusinian Mysteries. The myth of Demeter and her daughter, who is both called Cori, Maiden, and Persephone, was 
associated already in antiquity with mysteries held in Eleusis, a town 14 miles west of Athens. The myth appears in several slightly different versions, of which the best known is the Homeric Hymn to Demeter. Hades, king of the underworld, snatched Persephone away to be his wife. Demeter searched desperately for her missing daughter, and having discovered Persephone's fate, retreated in grief from the god's company, disguised herself as an old woman, and took work as a nursemaid in the royal Eleusinian family. When her secret attempt to immortalize the family's son was interrupted, Demeter became angry and, throwing off her disguise, cast the earth into famine. Under pressure, Zeus compelled Hades to return Persephone to her mother, but Hades first gave Persephone pomegranate seeds to eat, which obligated her to return to the underworld for part of the year hereafter. Hades promised Persephone that, as his wife, she would have power over everything that lives and moves, and the ability to punish those who displeased her. Demeter, reunited with her daughter, restored fertility to the fields, and instructed the Eleusinians in her mysteries, promising blessings to initiates, both during life and after death, and warning that the uninitiated would face an afterlife in dink darkness. Ancient sources make clear the connections between this myth and the Eleusinian mysteries, but it must be emphasized that the hymn to Demeter is a literary work and probably was composed for recitation in a public context. It was not the sacred text of a cult that prized secrecy as highly as the mysteries did and we cannot assume that all the actions it narrates signify what initiates actually did within the walls of the Luzianian precinct. The hymn can be used, however, in combination with other ancient information to paint a picture of the mysteries in broad strokes. It is likely, for example, that individuals somehow imitated Demeter's experiences during initiation and in doing so, passed from grief to joy. Ancient sources mention such a transition. We know that they drank a mixture called the Kaikeon, which Demeter also is said to have drunk in the hymn, and that in doing so, like Demeter, they broke a fast. It is possible that they watched a dramatic reenactment of Persephone's kidnapping in return. A cave on the site looks like a probable setting for the kidnapping, and we are told that a bronze gong was rung during the mysteries to signify Persephone's return. Some sort of ritual probably took place around a special well in the precinct, which is echoed in the hymn by Demeter's encounter at a well with daughters of the Eleusinian king. 
Thematically, too, the hymn resonates with concerns addressed in the mysteries. Most prominently, the hope that a special relationship with Demeter and Persephone would protect one from the direst aspects of the mortal lot. Other pieces of information take us further. Athens controlled the mysteries. Many of its priesthoods were in the hands of two Athenian families, and thus the public parts of the ceremony were held each year in Athens after certain secret objects had been carried from Eleusis to Athens under close guard. An Athenian official called an assembly in which the opening of the mysteries was announced. The next day at the Athenian harbor, each initiate bathed himself or herself and a piglet, which would later be sacrificed, perhaps on the third day. The fourth day was given over to latecomers who had to catch up with what they had missed. On the fifth day, initiates walked from Athens to Eleusis, wearing white garments and carrying torches. At a certain point during this journey, Yellow ribbons were tied on their right hands and left legs, and at another point, as they crossed the Cepheus River, insults were cast at them by former initiates. We are not sure why. The secret objects that previously had been carried from Eleusis to Athens were carried back again on this same journey. Upon arrival at Eleusis, initiates entered a walled precinct, and it is here that our certain information dwindles. Under threat of death, initiates kept their secrets well. We do know that whatever happened inside the precinct consumed three days, and that it culminated at night inside a hall called the Telesterium, literally the place of completion or initiation. Something highly significant was, was shown to the initiates in a sudden burst of torchlight. One ancient source that many scholars judge trustworthy claims that it was just a sheaf of wheat. The significance of the object, whatever it was, may have been largely symbolic. We know that each initiate had to have his or her own Mystagogos, a guide who had already been initiated and thus could ensure that the initiate completed the process correctly. We know that initiates heard and said special things and felt that they had personal contact with Demeter and Persephone. We know that toward the end of the process, initiates poured libations to the dead. And we know that it was possible to be initiated a second time at Eleusis into a higher level of the mysteries. But beyond this, all is conjecture. Whatever happened at Eleusis must have been highly appealing, however. The mysteries drew initiates from all over the ancient Mediterranean and operated from the archaic into the late imperial period. The Samothracian Mysteries The Greek word mysteria 
properly applies only to the Eleusinian festival, the Mysteria was also used to refer to other similar cults, and modern scholars have followed suit. Herodotus provides our first example in the 5th century BCE, when he describes a cult on the island of Samothrace as Mysteria. The Samothracian mysteries were almost as long-lived and popular as the Eleusinian. They continued till the reign of Constantine, but we know less about them. They centered on gods whose names were secret and whom ancient authors associated with a variety of other gods, including perhaps an imitation of Eleusis, Demeter, Persephone, and Hades. Other evidence, however, suggests a central goddess and two male attendants. We know only three details of Samothrace's nocturnal initiation rite. Initiates had to wear purple sashes to tell the priest what the worst deeds were that they had ever committed and to wear iron rings once they were initiated. Protection against dangers at sea was the most famous benefit of initiation. We hear nothing about post-mortem benefits and have only fragments of myths associated with the cult. In contrast to Eleusius, individuals could be initiated not only during an annual festival, but at any time. The Bacchic Mysteries Unlike the Eleusinian and Samothracian mysteries, initiations associated with Dionysus or Bacchus could be performed anywhere. In fact, some Bacchic priests made their living by wandering from place to place, performing initiations. The ability to initiate was considered a special craft and many priests claimed inclusion in the chain of teachers and students stretching back to mythic priests of Dionysus. In spite of this, techniques of initiation varied. From Herodotus, we hear about a Theosos group of Dionysiac initiates raving through the night in a sort of maddened, ecstatic release. We hear elsewhere about initiates, especially female, ascending mountains to participate in initiations that included nocturnal dancing. The phallus, symbol of generative power and sexuality, appears often in Dionysiac iconography. Such practices and images have fueled imaginations. In Euripides' Bacche, female worshippers tear apart live animals and eventually the king of their city. A famous Roman repression of Bacchic cults in 186 BCE followed accusations that they were fronts for murder, sodomy, and other crimes. We have no evidence that such extremes were reached by real initiates, but the note of wild abandon that such stories strike 
does reflect a genuine element of Dionysiac cult. Dionysus released worshippers from everyday concerns and limits. Less wild, perhaps, were initiations connected with the gold tablets, which centered on learning the story of Dionysus' birth and sufferings. The variegated picture of initiation rites is complicated further because the goals of initiation varied. In some cases, ecstatic communion with God was foremost, with little or no thought for the afterlife. Other rites assuaged the wrath of the dead and thus protected the living from their attacks. Still others sought to ensure the initiate's own happiness in the next world. Also open to question is how many of these cults were formally called or considered mysteries. Here I will focus on the rites involving the gold tablets as they both align most closely with my working model of mystery cults and use the word mysties, which refers to initiate of mystery. The tablets, which have been found in Greek and Italian graves dating from the 5th century BCE to the 2nd century CE, are small sheets of gold inscribed with instructions that guide the soul of the dead through the underworld and ensure that it receives preferential treatment from underworld deities. They also incorporate fragments of hexameter poetry derived from poems attributed to the mythic poet Orpheus, which narrated the story of Dionysus and Persephone. Fritz Graf suggests that these texts were also read aloud during initiations which supports the idea that the tablets serve to remind the soul, which was expected to be confused after death, of what it had already learned while alive. Some tablets were placed in the corpses' mouths as if to actually speak on their behalf. The instructions on the tablets include admonitions to avoid certain paths in the underworld and to drink from waters of memory instead of those from forgetfulness. This probably refers to the need to remember mistakes during, made during the last life, lest one repeat them in the next. Reincarnation also is implied by mention of a circle of grief from which the initiate will eventually escape. The tablets also remind the soul of declarations that it must make to Persephone, stating that it is pure, that it belongs to the divine race, that it has paid the penalty for the unrighteous deeds, and that the Bacchic one himself, Dionysus, has released it. The reward for doing and saying everything correctly, according to the tablets, is to join other mystai initiates and bakoi who feast and drink in a pleasant part of the underworld. Similar declarations must be made to guardians who otherwise would prevent access to the waters of memory. 
a late 4th century BCE funerary vase from southern Italy, now in the Toledo, Ohio Museum of Art, illustrates the reward. At the center of the scene, Dionysus shakes hands with Hades as Persephone looks on with approval. To this side are figures who represent the joyous afterlife that Bacchic initiates win and separated from him. Cut off from pleasure are famous mythic figures who failed to accept Dionysus. The declarations concerning unrighteous deeds and atonement on the tablets can be explained by reference to the myth of Dionysus and Persephone. Dionysus was the son of Zeus and Persephone. While a child, he was lured away by jealous gods called Titans, who killed and consumed most of him. Athena salvaged his heart, which Zeus fed to his lover Semele, in order that Dionysus might be reconceived. In due course, the god was reborn, although Persephone continued to mourn her loss. Meanwhile, Zeus incinerated the Titans, and humanity arose from their remains. Thus, human nature is predominantly wicked. Humans must strive both to overcome this and to atone to Persephone for the Titans' crime through initiation into the Bacchic mysteries. Otherwise, they will suffer after death. The cult of Meter, Meter or Mother, referred to a variety of goddesses who were either at home in Greece or imported from Anatolia, like Sibel. Their worship included ecstatic dancing that induced insensitivity to pain. Most extremely, some male worshippers castrated themselves while in this state dedicating their virility to the goddess and serving her thereafter as eunuch priests. A mythic exemplar of self-castration developed during the late Hellenistic period. Sibel maddened her mortal consort, Addis, because he had betrayed her. He castrated himself and bled to death. Whether such acts were always considered part of mystery initiations is unclear, but we do hear about eunuchs and other priests of these goddesses who, like Bacchic priests, wandered around performing initiations. Benefits were expected to accrue during life and perhaps after death. Sibel officially entered Rome in 205 BCE under the name of Magna Mater, great mother, at the suggestion of the Sibylline books. It is later, during the imperial period, that we first hear about one of the cult's most striking features, the tarobolium, bull slaughtering. Although something called the tarobolium had also been practiced earlier in Anatolia, Our evidence for the Roman Tarobolium is incomplete, but Philippe 
Bourguiot has convincingly, convincingly suggested that it involved sprinkling initiates from blood from the testicles of a freshly castrated bull. Thus, men who did not wish to castrate themselves and women could partake of the goddess's benefits. Initiation could be renewed after a number of years by repeating the tarabolium. The Christian author Prudentius exemplifies the polemics directed against mysteries in later ages when he invents a far bloodier tarabolium. A bull is slaughtered atop a grate. An initiate crouches underneath in a pit, waiting to be drenched in fresh blood. But this is unlikely to reflect real practices. The Cult of Mithras Mithra was an old Indo-Iranian sun god concerned with the making of alliances who was transformed into Mithras by Roman men in the first century CE into a god of mysteries. His mysteries particularly attracted soldiers and emphasized Bond's brotherhood. This was enhanced by the small size of individual Mithraic cults, which spread throughout the Roman Empire even as far as Britain. Initiates met in Mithraea, real or artificial caves that were decorated with frescoes and reliefs to serve as models of the cosmos. In some intellectualized forms of Mithraism, this is reflected in the initiate's goal of causing their souls to ascend through the heavens, but most initiates were probably more concerned with the benefits that Mithras offered in the here and now. And it is difficult to know what such cosmic representations meant to them. There is evidence that Mithraic worshippers were interested in astrology too, but we do not know why. On either side of a central aisle in Mithraea were benches on which initiates reclined to dine, imitating the meal shared by Mithras and the sun god, who sometimes appears as a separate entity in Mithraism. We know that there were seven grades of initiation, raven, bride, soldier, lion, Persian, sunrunner, and father, but little about what they signified or required. Taroktoni, killing of a bull, is central to the cult. Numerous altarpieces show Mithras engaged in such an act, and we can guess that it was repeated by initiates. An inscription from one Mithraeum, You saved us with the outpouring blood, is taken to refer to Mithras's taroctony, which often is supplemented in artistic representations by symbols of fertility. For example, a sheaf of wheat springs from the dying bull's tail. We have no textual traces of Mithraic myths, which makes interpretation of these representations difficult. The Mysteries of Isis The Greeks knew about the Egyptian goddess Isis from at least the time of Herodotus and believed 
that Egyptian worship of Isis and her husband Osiris was similar to that of their own mysteries. But the first clear traces of a Greek mystery cult for Isis appear in an erotology that was inscribed and displayed in Isaac sanctuaries during the last two centuries BCE. In it, Isis declares that she has brought agriculture, good laws, and other benefits to the human race, and that she has shown humans how to perform mystery initiations. Probably she is here identified with Demeter, as she often was elsewhere, and the mysteries she claims to have bestowed on humanity are those of Eleusis. Information on initiation into Isaiah mysteries in the proper sense becomes available only during the imperial period. They took place either at Isaiah temples or private houses. The fullest account is found in the final chapter of a 2nd century CE novel, Apuleius's Golden Ass. Lucius, the hero, although eager to be initiated and frequently visited by Isis in dreams, must wait until the goddess signifies that the time is right. He abstains from forbidden foods, bathes, and purifies himself. Secrets of the cult's holy books are explained to him, and yet further secrets narrated to him. He fasts for ten days, dons linen clothes, wool is prohibited in the cult, and at night is taken into the innermost part of her temple in Corinth. There, he undergoes a process that, he claims, involves a journey to the underworld, trial by the elements, probably water, fire, and air, and an introduction to all the gods. The following morning, he is given a new and splendid cloak, torch, and garland of flowers, and is displayed publicly to all worshippers of Isis. After he has celebrated for several days, Isis tells him to return home, but she and Osiris subsequently instruct him in dreams to seek initiation into the mystery cult of Osiris in Rome. Eventually, he is further initiated into the Pastophoroi, a group of priests who serve Isis and Osiris. The blessings that the gods confer on Lucius include not only eschatological promises, but an enhanced ability to earn money as a lawyer. The myth connected with Isaac mysteries comes to us only in the first centuries BCE and CE and closely mimics that of Lucinian Demeter that Isis seeks and then mourns her husband Osiris rather than her child, underscores the close link between the two spouses, which was already important in Egypt. Other Egyptian deities, such as Horus, the son of Isis and Osiris, were also adopted by Greeks and Romans, but Isis remained the central figure in her mysteries. Interpretations. 
So much for the basic facts about mystery cults, such as they are. What can be said about how the cults functioned and how they fit into the larger religious and societal climates of not only Greece and Rome, but more broadly, the ancient Mediterranean? Initiation as a process. Several ancient authors emphasize that initiates into mysteries not only did and said things as part of their initiation, but experienced things. In other words, there was a passive aspect to initiation. This is borne out by the passive participles that are sometimes used to describe initiates. Those initiated into the cult of meter, for example, are described as taroboliatai. They have been taroboliated, to coin a word. And those in the cult of Dionysus are said to be bibakun menoi. They have been bakiated. Initiates do not simply go through required motions and gain promised rewards. They are processed by what they experience in the mysteries, and they merge as something new. In this respect, mystery initiation has a great deal in common with Mediterranean rites of passage. The adolescent undergoes a rite from which he or she emerges as an adult. The unmarried woman emerges from the wedding ceremony not only as a married woman in the sense of having a husband, but in the sense of being, in the eyes of her society, a different sort of woman altogether, with new responsibilities and rights. Some scholars have even suggested that the Eleusinian mysteries, and perhaps other early Greek mysteries, developed out of clan-based adolescent initiation rites. The Eleusinian priesthood was controlled by two Athenian clans, the Eumolpidae and the Karyakis, and in the myths connected with some mysteries, an adolescent or child experiences the sorts of transitions that are often associated with the rites of passage in myth such as death, marriage, and rebirth. Iconography and myth, moreover, associate Demeter and sometimes Persephone with the care and maturation of children, both at Eleusis and elsewhere. But the mystery's broader similarity to rites of passage as procedures that process individuals and enable them to emerge as something new prompts another observation. Most parts of Greece had no rites of passage that formally and explicitly changed adolescents into adults, at least during historical times. What we find instead in some places are optional rites that celebrate the maturation of a few individuals, which usually meant the children of the noble and the wealthy. Why earlier, more widespread rites of passage died out if they ever existed at all, is a question we cannot consider here, but we can at least ponder the striking correlation. It was precisely in a culture from which rites of passage were missing that mystery developed. Rome, which eagerly adopted 
Greek mystery cults, and then went on to create some of its own, similarly shows few traces of adolescent rites of passage after the 3rd century BCE. It is tempting to see mysteries which promised to complete or perfect individuals as developing to fill a gap. Initiation and community. Another sort of ritual in which individuals undergo experiences and then emerge with a new status are initiations into professions, such as blacksmithing or into roles, such as priest or king. Egyptian artisans of many sorts were initiated into their professions, and Mesopotamian priests were initiated into the priesthoods of Nana and of Enlil and Ninlil, for example. Like adolescent rites of passage, these sorts of rituals can be glimpsed behind some mysteries. The Samothracian mysteries preserve traces of blacksmiths' guild initiations, e.g. the iron rings that initiates wear and the worship of artisan divinities called Kabiroi. The predilection of soldiers for the Mithraic mysteries may also point toward a group with guild-like bonds, and the seven grades of Mithraic initiation suggest an interest in delineation and assumption of hierarchical roles. I was just re-watching Boogie Nights. Haha, <laughs> fun movie. Very tight costumes. It's really a fantastic movie. They don't make movies like Ripley or Boogie Nights anymore. Auteur mid-budget. Streaming and money has killed that niche. A lot of movies, you sort of look at how much time is remaining because they're, they're so tedious. It's definitely harder to keep engaged, since we all have mini-computers in our hands. Is the hotel empty? Pretty much. I saw a few other older couples. There's an open bottle of Prosecco at the breakfast buffet, but it's only 8am. Should I indulge? Why not? Ha 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 ha. Ugh. Maybe a Bellini. Morning drinking is potentially disastrous, because then you have to get sober by lunchtime. It's true. At which you'll then be again tempted to drink. Or you just have to keep drinking, which means you'll likely pass out by 6 p.m. <laughs> or earlier, like 4.30. Yes, and then wake up hungover at like 9 p.m. And wake up at 9 and stay up the entire night hating yourself. Ha ha ha. It's rather unpleasant, particularly alone. Yes, and dangerous because you don't have any gauge of what's appropriate at each successive stage of drunkenness. I guess it's more convivial if you're day drinking in a group. There isn't some magical cricket on your shoulder to advise, all right, 
you've had three drinks and it's only 11 a.m. Better pace yourself. I wonder how those hardcore alcoholics manage. The ones who are constantly drinking. I wonder about that too. It must be a tolerance they've built up over decades. Someone ought to build an app that's an anti-puritanical sort of Alcoholics Anonymous drinking sponsor. Like you engage with it when you begin drinking, and it keeps checking in with you to offer reasonable advice. Or easy puzzles that a drunk person wouldn't be able to solve. Ha ha ha. Like, what is the square root of 16? And if you get it wrong, it tells you, Alright, you've had enough for at least the next two hours. See you then. Ciao a tutti. Ora io sono al Ostuni nel Palazzo Nuova. Um, veramente bello qui. Io cerco un ristorante ora per oggi. Attico rooftop forse qui. Un prezzo medio. 40 euro non male che c'è vedi il menu completo antipasto crudo di mare gambero rosso di Gallipoli scampo dell'Adriatico tagliatelle di seppia ostriche di tartare con riduzione di passion fruit parmigiana leggera di melanzane e mozzarella di bufala dop su velutata al pomodoro seppia scottata con crema di carote e chips di barbabietole quadrelli ripieni di patata viola con spuma di cacciocavallo e peperone cruso, impepata di cozze, polpo in doppia cottura con fave battuto di cipolla rossa di acqua viva, gazpaccio con frisa e con casse di verdure, portata principale Spaghetto secco con vongole, veracci e portarca. Uh, io voglio questo. Mm, calamarata al astice. Cavatelli ricchi al frutti di mare. Tagliolini al nero di seppia con crudo di gambero rosso di Gallipoli. Scrini di burrata con pomodoro giallo e capocollo disidratato. Fusolone con cipolla rossa, crema di zucchini e mandorle. Orata branzino al sale o forno mezzo chilo. Creata di pesce da giorno. Frittura dell'Adriatico. Francetti di tono e verdure di stagione in doppia cottura. 
tagliata di scottona con degustazione di salse. Filetto di vitello affumicato. Scalopina di seitan alla Mediterranea. Per dessert ci sono mille foglie con diplomatica ai frutti di bosco. Mousse allo yogurt con frutti rossi e noci. Tiramisu alla ricotta. Naked cake al cioccolato. Per bevande c'è bottiglia di champagne, caffè, acqua naturale in bottiglia di uno litro, bottiglia di vino, calice di vino. Forse qui oggi, perché c'è un grande visto. Um, al rooftop. Mm, il nome è Attico Rooftop 225 al corso Giuseppe Mazzini Ostuni. Non lo so. Che cos'altri qui in Ostuni? Io sono arrivato al pomeriggio alle tre da Roma io io vado da Roma al sette e mezzo sette e mezzo questa mattina e dopo sei ore al treni io sono arrivato allo Stuni a questo palazzo che cos'altro ristorante Chios Ostuni di pesce. Hmm. Io credo gli italiani non lo sanno, non sanno come cuocere il pesce. Mm, tutti i pesci sono sono tutti i piatti di pesci in Italia sono uh, lo stesso um, Senza raffin- raffinatezza, senza raffinatezza. Solo appena oltre il fuoco.
o grezzo non come cucina cinesi al cina non fuori allora che cos'altri Baria Riso Wine Pub No Tito Shippa Che cos'è? Frutti di mare Fritta Ok Il menu c'è Antipasti Pizza e stai contenta Pizza fritta Salsa di pomodoro Grana padano basilico. La bruschetta a modo mio. Crema di pane tostato con casse di pomodoro e basilico. Capresi. Burata salsa di pomodoro di basilico e chips di pane. Tartar di salmone. Tartar di tonno con i fichi e stracciatella sashimi insalata tono crudo e salmone crudo con olio ivo salsa di soia e sesamo tostato tentacoli di polpo arrosto con brunoise di patate e Citronette alla menta. Crudo di mare, di scampi e gamberi. Primi piatti. C'è gnocchetti di patate con scombro, pomodorini gialli e olive leccine, strozza pretti con cozze, polpo, zucchini e panure alle erbe aromatiche fusili alla norma con ricotta agli agrumi e basilico orecchiette con cime di rappa e tarallo spricciolato al sentore di alici spaghetti calcio e pepe orecchiette con ragù di podolica e fonduta di provola affumicata. Secondi piatti. Pescato secondo disponibilità a prezzo per chilogrammo alla Grecia o alla Mediterranea. Solo solo due Solo due metodi di cuoca. cuoca. Solo due metodi di cottura. Gli italiani. Salmone scottato in crosta di panne alle erbe aromatiche su capnatina di verdure. Capnatina di verdure. 
tono scotato con sesamo tostato su misticanza. Frittura di calamari, gamberi e verdure in pastella. Tagliata di antricotte con rucola, pomodorini e crema di cacio cavallo. Hmm. Forse questo. No. Tagliata e senza cuochi. Io voglio fritture di calamari gamberi ora. Non dopo ora. Ho fame. Oggi ho mangiato solo un piccolo insalata di pollo al autogrill alla stazione di Bari e un po' di biscotti di Italo treno solo questi oggi filetto di manzo ai ferri con scarola saltata alive leccine e capperi capperi selezione di salumi e formaggi Salumi e formaggi del territorio con miele e marmellate. Contorni. Insalatina di campo. Patate alle erbe. Verdure di stagione alla griglia. Poche. Mediterranea. Riso basmati. Tocchetti di pollo scottato, feta, olive verdi, rape rosso e sesamo dostato. Enjoy. Riso basmati, salmone crudo, avocado, feta, piselli al vapore e sesamo tostato. Tropical. Riso basmati, tono crudo, mango. Giuncata, carote e sesamo tostato. Insalate. Estate. Iceberg. Rucola, pomodorini, bocconcini di mozzarella, pesto di basilico e crostini di panni aromatizzati. La leggera. Iceberg. Soncino, petto di polo arrosto, maionesi agli agrumi e favette croccanti. Tra terra e mare. Iceberg, tono in olio ivo, spinaci, trallo al sentore di alici e pomodoro secchi. Dolci artigianali. Tiramisù. Creme brûlée con riduzione di frutti di bosco o fonduta di cioccolato. Mousse ricotta e cioccolato con biscotto, biscotto croccante. Bevande bottiglia di champagne, coppa di champagne, caffè, acqua naturale in bottiglia di 
uno litro, bottiglia di vino, calice di vino. Forse qui va bene per um, questa sera.